Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they laid him in the Sabbath, everyone. Can we kneel for prayers? Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your blessed Sabbath day as we gather at your feet. We ask that you please forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this past week, and we ask that you be with us this coming week. Dear God, as we assemble at your feet, we ask that you be with our um, pastor as he presents your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit minister, and not only reach us here, but beyond these walls. We thank you once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Our scripture reading is taken from 1 John 2, 14. 1 John 2, 14. And it states, <clears throat> I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are young, because you're strong, sorry, and the word of God abided in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Amen. Hello, happy Sabbath. So happy to be with you today. It's been a little while. Uh, thank you for your prayers. We are feeling much better now. Thank you for those who are watching online, for always faithfully keeping the uh, service online to our team that works really hard on that. And for those who are watching, we welcome everyone to this special service. The title for the message today is called, Your Time is Now. That means that God is going to talk to you. God is going to mess with you. This is our prayer, that you don't leave this place the same way you walked in. It is our necessity that when we come to church, we truly have an encounter with God. Otherwise, we're wasting our time. I mean, it is great to come and visit. It is great to have a social activity here. It is great to see people. It is great to have potluck, to enjoy good food as well. But if it's not the need of fulfilling uh, that connection with God is not met, then truly we shouldn't come to church. And I'm telling you this is a, a very serious statement because we have to come to church with an intention. And that intentionality should be, I need to meet with Jesus. I want to hear his voice. So if you're being distracted by other areas, other means, whether it's work, bills, or stress, or life, I want to ask you to pray with me today and ask God that he can talk to you. Ask God to touch your life, to talk to you directly. I love to hear God speaking to me. It is my biggest need. I mean, it's been a week full of activities, and if we were to share, we wouldn't finish today of all the things that we've been through and we've done. But right now is the time to listen to God. So let's pray and ask God in our hearts that he will talk to us. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you asking you to please talk to each one of us. Talk to our families. Talk to our children. Talk to our youth. Lord, we need you. That's why we're here. We could have been a thousand places today, but you decided for us to come to this place. And whether we came for the right or wrong reasons, now that we are before your presence, please do your miraculous work and touch our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
You might wonder what uniform am I wearing? You have, you, you, have you ever seen a uniform like this? I'm not sure. But this is the uniform of Seventh-day Adventist youth leaders. And sad to say that although this ministry was started in North America, it's been years that we stopped producing youth leaders. So I'm going to be very honest with you because we have a problem that we need to address. And this is a problem we need to work with as a local church. We can't go and look on the other side of the fence or in another country or division. We have to look within to understand what's our situation in today's time and how does the church look like in the next five to ten years on the road. Oh, pastor, you're just coming now to tell us about youth. That's exactly right. That's what I'm talking to you about. See, youth ministry is never, it was never intended to be an occasion for us just to have a good time. Youth ministry runs in a track like a train. And it has two tracks where that train moves, just as the church does. The church works in two areas. And for those of you who are new to the church, write this down because this is important for you to know. For those of you who have been in the church for a long time, maybe you still don't know. So you better learn this today. The church works in two areas, evangelism and stewardship. We are here as a movement. We were never intended to be an organization, in a structure. We are here because this is a moving element that keeps on conquering the land, the places where it goes to. This is the call we got from Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore. That was the call to go out, never to stay in, never to be comfortable in, but always to be on the lookout because our call was to reach out onto the world. This is the call. This is the DNA of a seven-day Adventist uh, member. In fact, our name says it all. We are waiting for his return. We understand that there is an Advent movement. And he is coming again very soon. And when we read this statement, we are seven-day Adventists. The first thing in our own name, it says it all. We are waiting for his second coming. So the church was established in two elements, evangelism and stewardship. Why those two pastors? Why nothing else? Well, we are to go and preach unto the world. And the stewardship element, we need the resources to do that. We need the people, we need the talents, we need the time, and we need the treasure to get that done. We can have all the beautiful projects we want and we can put them all in paper saying we're going to conquer this land and we're going to send missionaries to this place and we're going to build a, a church or we're going to expand the school. But unless we have the resources to do that, it also stays in a nice paper. I remember working with this treasurer who said, Pastor, put it all in the paper. The paper can hold everything. That is true. The paper can hold everything. Now, when it comes to get it done, it's a different story. Now, the youth movement. See, maybe some of us don't know, but do you know that this church was started by young people? Do you know that this church was basically established and moved by 18, 20-year-olds? Ellen G. White was 17 when she received the first vision. 17-year-old. 
You're looking about young folks coming together to understand that Jesus is coming. We must do something. And I love what John says. I wrote to you young folks, young people, because you have the strength to do things. Oh, I tell you, we went out to the youth retreat just three, four weeks ago, and I was out for a week. I was considering myself young, <laughs> but maybe not so much anymore because I couldn't keep up with them. They have so much energy. Now the youth movement works in two areas. Just as the church works in salvation, just as the church works in evangelism and stewardship, the youth ministry works in two areas. And this is important for every youth activity we do. Anything that has to do with youth has to have these two elements. If it doesn't have them, it's not part of the youth ministry. Salvation and service. These are the two tracks that youth work with. Salvation and service. We are saving our own and we are saving the ones that are coming on to. We are serving our own community and we are also serving the community abroad. Salvation and service. This is important for us to understand. Now here are the problems that we have. One of the biggest problems we are facing right now. And I'm talking to our church now. By the year 2025. Is the microphone on? Can you hear me properly? Yes. By the year 2025, it is known that in the North American division, we will need 5,000 new pastors. How many? 5,000 new pastors. I don't even have the record of how many teachers we will need. But in current times... The education system is struggling at its best. We have no teachers. We have some teachers here. They're sitting right here in, our, in, in this building. They work really hard every week. But the truth is that we don't have people jumping to replace them. I mean, we're getting to that level right now. We're struggling to see whether Adventist education is going to succeed over the next 10 years. And this is the reality. We don't have teachers. And my question was, what can we do? What can we do? And I went ahead and I, I kind of took a look into the division. And, and it seems like there is no answer there. And then I look into the union and it seems like there is no answer there. And then I look to our conference and it seems like there is no answer there. Where is the answer then? Here in our local church. When did we stop preparing people for service? When did we stop preparing missionaries? When did we lose sight that this was the place where we prepared the next leaders of our church? You saw them here? Did you see them, how beautiful they look? See, the biggest problem we have, and this is now known after the 2015 general conference, there was a study done, and they came to the conclusion and said, yes, we are very good at keeping them close to Jesus during their years in kindergarten, and then they go into primary, and then they go into juniors, and sometimes, not all the time, sometimes they go into teens, but after they go into youth, they leave. And some of them go to college, and once they go to college, we send them out as Christians, and they come back as atheists. And this is the biggest problem. The church invests in them 18 years of their life. And by the time they're 20, they no longer are Seventh-day Adventists anymore. And we gave the world our best elements. And we lost them. That's why this ministry was created. It's called PCM, Public Campus Ministry. It's a ministry that works within... 
non-Seventh-day Adventist colleges where there is a chaplain that goes into those universities and tries to bring them together to let them know that they are supported by their local church and that we love them and there is a place for them at church. We have a number of them right now in college. And I can see it in the top of my head. Who of our students, who are kids that were here just a couple of years ago, are now in college? And it is our job to remind them, hey, you have a family here to come back to. You have a place where you can return anytime you come back to. And we are here to support you. We're cheering for you. We love you. We want you to succeed. But at times, that wasn't the story. At times they would come back after a full year of semester of work and, and they were just devastated by some of the wrong decisions they made and also their classes, their stress, and they would come and sit down in these pews and guess what we would do? Well, you know what we would do at times. Sometimes criticize them, point fingers at them, and instead of caring for them, we would push them out. It is your time now because God is calling us to change the statistics we need to change the vision. Unless we start caring for these little ones, we won't have a church. I was just talking to the youth in their class. And don't worry, we're going to the Bible right now because you're going to see how God works with these elements and how the transition of leadership goes on into the word. But I told them, you know, when I was 17, the first time I returned to church, I remember being sitting in that pew and asking God, I don't think you exist. I don't think you're real. I don't think you can change my outcome. I don't think you can change my family. My dad is in jail. My mom is working so he, she can bail him out. We are struggling at home. We don't want anything to do with him. We want him to divorce her. We want her to divorce him. We want him to be out of the house. And now I'm sitting at church on a Wednesday night asking God, if you exist, I'm only giving you one chance. That's it. If you do something for me, then I'll believe that you are there to work for me. If not, I'm out and I'll never return to this church again. A whole year went by. Exactly a year later, I'm sitting at the same church. And the guy who's doing youth Sabbath school comes on to me and says, Hey, you're going to do the lesson review today. Here's the booklet. Go for it. And I'm thinking, man, does this guy know where I've been? Does he understand where I was last night? Does he have a picture of what party I was throwing the night before? And now he's asking me to teach all these nice kids the Sabbath, the Sabbath school? Does he have an idea? I'm pretty sure he did have an idea. Yet he was willing to trust. He was willing to go that extra mile on me and said, you do it. Man, it was a struggle for me because it turns out that the leaders who were singing... They were out partying with me, which I didn't know they were Seventh-day Adventists. I wasn't Seventh-day Adventist. At least I wasn't calling myself one. But it turns out that most of us that were at church that Sabbath, we all were at the same party the night before. And it seems like, hey, I thought you guys were like holy and whatnot, and now you're telling me to teach, and all these kids are going through the messed up life that I'm also going through. But guess what? That's the reality of every young person, especially in those years where you're struggling to understand who you are. And I remember he told me, you want to do the lesson, you're going to do it for us. I said, man, do you have any idea where I've been? He didn't care about that. He just said, you do it. And, and here I am. Still doing it. I, I tell you, someone at some point believed 
that things could be different for me and my family. And that's the reason why I'm here. I mean, in fact, that day that I walked to church, I had these long dickies, 38. I was a 32 size. They were 38, this big, long dickies, black. I was a cholo. And I was like, this is how I'm walking into church because this is my best attire. This is the best clothes I have. I had no church clothes and whatnot. That's how I walk into the church. And I said, this is, this is what I'm repping, right? This is, this is where I'm coming from. This is my crew. This is the people that I'm hanging out with. This is who I am. Either you're able to accept me the way I am, or I'm not, I, 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 there's not enough room in this church for me. See, because with youth, there's, there's a time that it takes time to, to mold and to shape and to work around. We can't want the results from one day to another. It takes a time process and a mentoring process. But I want you to come to the Bible with me to understand how Moses did this. Because this is amazing what God did through Moses. <coughs> Let not the youth be ignored. Let them share in the labors and responsibility. Let them feel that they are part of the act in helping and blessing others. I'm reading from the spirit of prophecy. And she says, very much has been lost. To the cause of God because of the inattention to the youth. Ministers of the gospel should form a happy acquaintance with the youth of their congregations. She even says, you're neglecting your job as a pastor if you're not dedicating enough time to the youth. Because they are the biggest important. I wouldn't want to say they are the most important, but truly they, they are our reserve people at church. Unless we take care of them. See, Charles uh, Spurgeon used to say, take care of your sheep. Take care of your lamb. Or you won't have sheep to take care of in the future. And this is so true in today's time. We get so involved, so caught up with our programs, our initiatives, our way of doing things. Because this is how it's been done over the past 40, 50 years. And we leave very little room for the youth to develop their talents. That now is the time that we need to change this. And we need to change this not just because I'm saying it. The report just came out three weeks ago, four weeks ago, when the general session, uh, when the general conference met at the end of the year uh, meetings back in um, November. And the number goes above 10 million since 1950. 10 million people have walked away the church. And the majority of them were youth. 10 million of them. See, the report came back saying, and this is in South America and Inter-America, because this is the places where they get the most people in every year. And they said out of the 10 people that walk into the church every year, seven of them leave the church. That means that 10 are baptized, seven are leaving. And when they ask what was the reason why they're leaving, it's not about doctrinal issues. It's not about prophecy. It's not about knowledge. It's about the relationships that are developed there. This is true. People are leaving. And when we ask ourselves, why am I here? Why do I still stay? Even when at times I feel like I'm not feeding with the group there. Well, some of us as, as adults now have a connection with Jesus and say, I stay because of you, not because of them. Because you call me, that's why I'm here. Otherwise, I would be somewhere else at this time. 
And at some point, all of us, at some point, many of us have felt like that. But when you do that to a young person who has a thousand things grabbing their attention and making them feel better, what do you think they're going to choose? So there is no room. And I'm not saying let's let them do whatever they want to do. No. There is a mentoring part that we need to do for them. In fact, we can hear them calling out and saying, can you help me? Can you help me? My character is not helping me. Can you help me shape this character of mine? I used to cry out like that because I couldn't talk to any adult without swearing in their face. That was my biggest issue. I would swear all the time. And little did I know when I talked to an adult, what I ultimately was saying is, can you help me? Can you give me the tools to help on my character-wise? Because I know my character is going to betray me every time I do something. I'm going to end up messing up my life. See, the youth are not too difficult to work with. But the truth is that we need to come from our experience to their level, to their experience, and understand where they are. Now, listen to the way Moses dealt with this. We understand that there was a time when Moses was also being shaped by, was shaped by the Lord and was also worked by the Lord. And now, Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. Come, come with me to the Bible in the book of Exodus. And this is something that God tells Moses to write down, specifically for someone. Now, Moses is rec recalling the story. He's, he's telling the story. He's writing it down. And God tells him, I need you to write this down for one specific purpose, for the people to know about it, but also for one specific purpose, one specific person. Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of who? Joshua. He said, I need you to write this down. I need you to write this book. And I need you to make sure this person listens to it. Who's going to listen to it? Joshua. Joshua is the one that needs to listen to what God did through Moses. Joshua is necessary to be prepared to become the next leader. Now, there is something that is going to take place. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Come with me to Deuteronomy chapter 34. And... Uh, <coughs> Something is happening with Moses. Moses is going to be retired prematurely, early. He's getting something that is called early retirement. How many of us want early retirement? Yes, don't raise your hands. In this case, Moses is getting it. I mean, he is 120, but the Bible says, yeah, don't, don't get hopes up. He's 120 by the time God tells him that his time is done. Remember that Moses had a struggle even though he was already above 80 and even though he, I mean, at 80 years old, it seems that you should have some experience by now. He's 80 and he doesn't listen to God when he tells him to call onto the, onto the rock, but he hits the rock and there's a consequence for that action. Now he's coming now 120 years old. He's getting to the point that God is telling him, it is your time, your time is up. And, and, and I know it's in a struggle because I'm going to face that very soon. Where God is going to say, your time is up. Let other people lead. We, we struggle with that, you know. Because we feel that somehow somebody gave us the keys and now I'm the key holder. 
And if I'm the key holder, I have the power. And if I have the power, I'm the only one that speaks. And if I'm the only one that speaks, everybody should listen to me. Well, that's a problem because in the Bible, that's not the type of leadership God works with. In, in fact, God talks about a servant leadership. Whoever wants to be the leader needs to be the servant of all. This is the type of leadership that Jesus talks about. It's not about who holds the keys or, <coughs> or who has a bigger saying. It's about who serves the most. And this is what God is working with. And now he's teaching Moses to do it. And now we come to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 34, verse 5 on and on. <coughs> Would someone read it out loud, please? <coughs> All the way to seven. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim and his natural force abated. Uh, nor his natural force abated. Thank you. The Bible says that when Moses died, he was not... In that condition of old. In fact, it says that he, he had his vigor was still with him. He was still a strong man. His eyes, he could still see. He wasn't using help in that aspect. He's 120, but he's still very strong. Then why would God retire him? If he's still able to do it, why would God tell him to step aside? I mean, and this is teaching us something. It's not because I'm old that I'm, I'm being told now to leave some space for others to come and lead. It's because there is a need for everybody to get involved in the mission. And there are times that I need to say, hey, I still can do it, but I'd rather have somebody else do it so they can also learn what I have learned. And the Bible says that when Moses was called, oh man, imagine Moses. He, he knows that he's not returning from Mount Pisgah. In fact, he's told by God, come up here to the mountain and you're going to see the land of Canaan. And you won't be able to inherit that. Obviously, the job that Moses was leading is not a simple job. Over four million people by then. It's not an easy task to do. Being the leader of that group for the 40 years past, it's an amazing responsibility, a tremendous job. But the Bible does specify, hey, he wasn't old. He, he wasn't done. Like Physically, he could still keep on doing it. But there is a problem here. Now that Moses is gone, who's taking over? Who's going to take over now that Moses is not there? And my biggest question is, who's taking over once I leave? Once you leave? And, and put this in perspective, in every aspect of your life, your job, your school, your church, the place where you're serving, who's taking over? Have you noticed that we have that problem in Canada right now? We have nobody taking over. This is a crisis, not only in the church, but in every spectrum of government. We are lacking of young leaders. <coughs> Thank you so much, Jesus. <coughs> now, I'm not here to expose what Canada is going through. You must know it because you also watch the news. But not too long ago, there was a study that was recently published saying that Back in the 70s, for every Canadian getting retired, you had eight people covering his uh, taxes or 
putting the shoulder up to cover the expenses for every person getting retired. Eight. Right now, there's only three. Meaning that for every person getting retired right now, only three are taking the load of that person who's getting retired. Which means that in the next 10, 15 years, don't think there will be such a thing as retirement anymore. I'm, I'm not, don't quote me on that. But that's how the trajectory is looking. This is the reality we are facing. But now when you translate that, whatever is happening in our economy to our church, does it resemble any of that? Of course it does. And I might get in trouble for this, but I need to speak the truth. We are calling people out of retirement to lead at this moment. That tells you a reality that we are facing. We are not training enough new leaders to take over. And that makes me sad because I believe God called this church as a movement to keep on moving. And the moment we lack of leaders, guess what happens? We stop moving. And if we stop moving, we're not fulfilling God's call. And God's kingdom does not get developed by people who sit down and do nothing about it. But this is the reality we are facing in today's time. Don't believe me. Look at the schools. Look at the jobs. Every single job is facing right now the struggle of finding new people to train on. And you train them, and guess how long do they stay? Very little. Now, Moses is leaving. Who's taking over? Are they going to have the crisis that we're facing right now? Well, according to the Bible, they didn't. And this is important because they were able to plan ahead. <coughs> Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9. Look at what it says there. Now, <coughs> Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Something Moses did before he was, he was able to retire. He passed on his wisdom onto the next leader, which was Joshua. But how did this happen? When did it happen? How did it take place? Well, Joshua was given the keys 40 years earlier. 40 years earlier, Moses started working with Joshua so he could be ready by the time this was to happen. And I guess as a leader, the first thing you need to understand is the day you are appointed to. And you need to prepare yourself because God is going to call you. Your time is now. Now, don't talk to me telling me, Pastor, well, I'm retired. I'm pretty old. No, there is no such a thing as retirement in God's kingdom. You need to understand that as well. It works in the earth uh, vision, but not in God's way, not in God's kingdom. Because even when people die in God, when people die in Jesus, their testimonies are still working on behalf of God's kingdom. Have you noticed that? We have testimonies here at church of people who have returned to church because of the prayers of their mothers while they were alive. I've seen that in this church. So don't even believe that once you're gone, you're gone. No, your testimony, your works follow. Now, in the case of Moses, he starts preparing Joshua 40 years earlier. When did that take place? Well, come with me to the book of Exodus chapter 17. <coughs> now, 
This is a little earlier. This is a, in the Bible, in case it's, it's a chapter before. We just don't know exactly the timeline. But it was earlier before Jethro came to Moses to explain to him of establishing leaders. You remember that Jethro comes and gives him advice on how he should establish leaders of a thousand, of a hundred, of fifty, and ten. Well, this is prior to that. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 and 9. Now, the Bible says, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to who? To Joshua, choose some of the some, some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hurt went up to the top of the hill and they were what they were doing for them? Praying, interceding. See, <clears throat> One of the biggest issues we face in today's time is when we are not called for action. As a leader, it's part of the struggles we face. Maybe not you, maybe I have. When someone else is doing the action and you just get to sit by the side and look. And you're like, man, I wish I was there doing things because they don't do it as good as I would do them. Have you noticed that? Like, if I'm doing them, they're perfect. If somebody else is doing it, oh, man, yeah. See, I told you I should have been there. In the case of Moses, he says, you're going to go do the fighting. I'm going to go up to the mountain, and I'm going to be praying for you. And you better win because this is, this is it. This is a big fight. This is a battle that we need to win. His job 40 years earlier is to pray for young Joshua to lead the army of Israel. What a responsibility he's living in this young man. But all he's doing is praying. What's our job as adults, as mature Christians for our youth? Pray for them. Pray that they, whenever they come up here to do their, their singing or their Bible reading or their preaching, that they will do what God is calling them on to do. And they probably won't do it as good as you would do it because you have 50 years of experience in it. But that's our job. And I tell you, I'm sure Moses was struggling with, it says that at times his hands would get tired, you know. Till one moment they brought a rock and they said, okay, I'll sit here, Moses. You can tell that he's getting tired by then. He's about 80 years old or so. He sits on it. They hold his hands. And as he has his hands up, they're winning. Every time he lowered his hands, they were losing. What's our job as leaders of the church now when we see our young people taking action? Pray for them. See, when you pray for them, you hardly have time to criticize. When you pray for them, you don't have time to see whether they're wearing the right clothes or the wrong clothes. See, when you pray for them, there's no time for nothing else but because there is a battle taking place and lives are at stake. Unless we are praying for them, God is, is, not going to, is not going to be able to support them and the enemy is defeating them. See, our job is not to see whether they are here on time or not. When God calls them for action, they're going to show up. But we need to pray for them. Intercede for them. I'm glad that at some point, someone along the line decided to pray for me. 
See, the first time the elder came to my, to my house, <clears throat> and this was the youth leader at my church and the elder. They both came to my house. I was telling the youth that in those days, you had something that was called Columbia House. I'm not sure if anybody ever heard of that. It was like a subscription. You would go into this magazine or this place, and you would subscribe there, and they would send you every month the list of CDs of the newest records. You guys remember that? Oh, man, I'm, I'm glad somebody has. <laughs> I'm not too old, though. So <laughs> they had those CDs, and every month, my brother and I would go onto the list and see, okay, we need this one, we need this one, we need this one. We had an amount of CDs. I'm, I'm sure we spent probably more than $4,000 just buying CDs over the few years that we were buying those CDs. So every time somebody would come to our house, my biggest pride and my biggest thing to show them was my collection of CDs. They all were originals. I paid $10 for each. They were expensive. They were expensive compared to music nowadays. That was expensive. Now, every time they would walk into my house, I would present them the list of CDs I had and all those collections of music that you probably couldn't even hear, and you would close your ears to, to listen to it. And, and I had a one CD player that was 51 CDs that you could move it back and forth, and, and it was just like, you're walking into my house, let me show you what I have. That was my biggest pride. We were able to buy it with our own money. We were like 16, 17 years old, and we had saved enough money to buy our own 51 CD player plus all the CDs. And when the youth leader came and the elder came to my house, if they had said something about my music, that was the one excuse I was looking for so I wouldn't return to that church. They didn't say anything. I was really hoping that they would say, hey, you know what, Sister White says this, Sister White says that. I was hoping that they would say, because I was looking for excuse not to return to that church. They didn't say anything. They just kept on visiting, brought us our food hampers once in a while, became friends, till one day, I couldn't live with that music anymore that my brother and I went out and threw it in the dumpster. And we burned $4,000 of CDs. But that was a decision we made ourselves because he wouldn't criticize us. And I tell you, like someone along the line was lifting their hands up for us as we were bottling in our own journey. Because that's exactly what is happening with each one of these young folks that are coming to church every Sabbath. They are also struggling. And the one thing they don't need is for you to come and tell them how bad they are. They know that already. Don't you think they, they can see themselves? Every one of us understands when we are struggling, we understand that we're not doing that great. What we need is someone that can lift up their hands and say, I'm praying for you. I made an extra lunch. I, got, I have some food for you. You want to win their hearts? Bring them some food. They will never say no. Hey, you know what? I bought a pizza. Want to have it with your friends? That's how you start getting to their hearts. Girls, <laughs> let's stay there. <coughs> he was given the keys 40 years earlier. And that's how he was prepared. In Numbers chapter 11, now look at the attitude that Joshua's taking because it's interesting. Remember that Moses is leading Joshua and is helping him shape his vision of leadership. Numbers chapter, chapter 11, verse 16 and 17. <coughs> 
read with me. This is what it says. So the Lord, Numbers chapter 11, verse 16 and 17. So the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of, the meet, of meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk to you there, and I will take of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put it on the same, I will put the same upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. See, God is talking to Moses saying, you need to leave the responsibility on other people, but this is the reaction Joshua has. Come with me to verse 28 and 29. Look at what it says there. So Joshua, Joshua's looking at all this and he's understanding what is happening. And he says, so Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. See, the reaction of Joshua is, don't let them do this. Verse 29. Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets. And that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Young Joshua still doesn't understand what leadership looks like. And he says, hey, don't let him, don't let him prophesy. Don't give him some of your spirit. Don't give him your wisdom. Moses, with the matureness of life and the walk with God, he says, don't stop them. I wish more people would have of God's spirit to lead. See, Joel chapter 2, verse 27, has a prophecy that I'm hoping to see fulfilled in our days. God talks about what he's about to do in these days. This is one of those prophecies that has different moments in, in history where they are coming to completion. And we are expecting that prophecy to be fulfilled in our days too. Joel chapter 28, chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And afterward, says the Lord, I will pour out on all people, some Bible says, on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I believe this is truth. I believe this is about to take place in our days. Where we will see the youth being prophesying by the Lord. They will take action. See, one, pro one pastor said, we have the biggest giant inside the Seventh-day Adventist church. And we need to wake him up. The youth is the sleeping giant we have. But if he was to waken up, the wonders he would do. Because I tell you, as we struggle to go out to knock on doors to give out some great controversy, they run. As we struggle to say, well, maybe one day I can go, they tell you, I do it right now. And if you dare them, 
they delivered a box in probably five minutes as they run through the neighborhood putting the books on everybody's doors. If they were to wake up, imagine what would happen in our church. Now we got to pray that this takes place. In Acts chapter 2, when that part of the prophecy was, fulfill, was being fulfilled, the men came out to the people of, 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 of the prophets, of the apostles, and they said, these men are drunk. And Peter answers them and says, no way, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. There's no way you could be drunk at nine in the morning. What you're looking at is the prophecy of Joel being fulfilled in today's time. Acts chapter 2, verse 15 through 18, it says, These people are not drunk, as you supposed. It's only nine in the morning, verse 16. No, this is what it was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I dream of that day being fulfilled in our church. I know this work can be done. But we need to wake up this giant. See, we are told that this gospel needs to go out onto the whole world. And everybody needs to hear about it. The truth is that the average American in their lifespan will meet, will interact with 10,000 people. This is statistically speaking. It is known that you will come in contact during your average span time with 10,000 people. The youth with their devices, they can go much more than 10,000 people in a heartbeat. If they were to be moved by the Spirit, imagine the things that we could be seeing in this community. Aren't you excited to know that God is about to do miracles in our town? And God is working with them. God is truly calling every young person to take the stand because your time is now. Your time is now. One of my professors used to say that, and, and I, I always have it in my heart. He said, Tony, we're only dwarves. We're only short people sitting on the shoulders of giants who came before us. That's why we are called to see a little bit ahead of the times that they couldn't see. See, at some point, Someone worked really hard for us to have a church here, to have a piano, to have an organ, to have, to have all of this that we can come now comfortably and enjoy. But it seems that at times we've forgotten that we were a movement, and, and, and it's been the years of passive Christianity, where we sit down and we enjoy the works and labors of the previous generation. Our generation needs to stand up now and move the ball ahead. We need to keep moving. We cannot stay still. The moment we stay still, we start losing them. This is the reality. Your time is now. This is God calling you. 
to either take a stand with the youth or to mentor them, to reach out to them, to call them, to show them some kindness, to dedicate some of that knowledge that you already have and pass it on to the next generation. We cannot lose you. And we are not in the business of losing our young folks anymore. I've told you this before, and I'm going to continue to repeat that until everybody understands. We are not losing any more young folks in our church. We cannot afford to do that. We won't. That's why we're praying every day that God will touch them. That God will use them. This is why we're pouring resources into our youth ministry. But even with all these things that we're doing, guess what? We still don't have you leaders in our church. We still need you. Because unless you take that time to come and dedicate some of your time onto them, your grandkids will pay the price. See, with the church, there is something specific about it. I remember the first day I walked into, into the office of my president. And he said, Tony, I need to treat you right. And I was just as a new pastor. I'm just sitting here and waiting for him to give me the speech of what I need to do and what not to do. And he said, Tony, I need to treat you right. And I said, well, I hope so. That's, that's the least thing I can expect from you. But he said, no, you don't understand. You will be the one who's going to be signing my retirement documents. That's true. By the time he gets to retire, I'll be probably in the position where I get to sign those documents for the generation that's leaving. The moment we stop investing in our youth, who's going to visit us once we are in the nursing home? Who's going to visit us when we need somebody to blow the snow out of our house? Who's, who's going to do it? See, the, the, the concept of, of, of the harvest and the, and the crops and the agricultural aspect of, of life makes so much sense, so much sense in the Christian walk. Because everything that we do investing in the next generation, it will be paid back to us in this life. It will be repaid. And I'm not telling you to do it because of the benefits you're going to get later, but I tell you the benefits are great. You spend time with the youth, you'll never find yourself alone. You invest in them, you will have the folks that will come to your house whenever you need them the most. I'm telling you, I've seen it already. So if you get a calling to help our youth, please take the time. You say, Pastor, I don't have the time. Well, send the resources. Pray for them. Cover them in your prayers every day. Have you noticed how our church has gone up in our kids over the past two years? Have you noticed that we start seeing new faces with kids and, and young folks? Isn't this amazing? Because it's like a plant. You start watering the plant and it's going to start flourishing. And God is bringing those youth to our church. Now that we have them, it is our time to prepare them so they can go. I pray that you hear the voice of God saying, your time is now. It is time to give back to the younger generation what he was given to you when you were young. Someone, when you were young, invested in you. Someone paid the price for you. 
Someone said, I'm not going to that trip so he can go or she can go. Just think about it. Someone gave so much. My church, my local church back home, gave so much for me that I am required to do at least the minimum for the next generation. This is exactly what I was called to do. May God bless us all as we get the calling from God. Your time is now. Have a wonderful Sabbath. Mary looked down at her son, the long-awaited one had come, the Savior angel sang about, they cradled in her arms. <coughs> As a baby, salvation came in God's only Son. Salvation came, reaching out, crying out for us. He did not reign as an earthly king. sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Salvation King as, <clears throat> sorry, Ago, I was uh, 